Our second lesson today comes from Apostle Paul's first book to the Thessalonians, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. This is the word of the Lord. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When they say there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and there will be no escape. But you, beloved, are not in darkness, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light and children of day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then let us not fall asleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober and put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord, Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up each other, as indeed you are doing. Thanks be to God. One Sunday in 2017, after a particularly dark news cycle, I came to church hopeful for some sense to be made of current events or some reassurance that all would be okay. As sometimes happens, though, the lectionary that day had other ideas. And instead of trying to discern what God may have wanted me to learn that day, I picked up the Bible and started scanning the index looking for answers. Reading the entries listed under justice, I came to Habakkuk, a small book of the Old Testament attributed to a minor prophet recognized as such under Judaism and Islam, and later Christianity. We've just heard recited Habakkuk's lament to the Lord. When I read those words back then, I became excited. This is what I wanted to cry out that day. This passage spoke to the anguish and hopelessness that I had been feeling, thinking I had maybe, just maybe, stumbled upon the answer to my prayer. I looked forward to reading God's response. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Though it linger, wait for it. What? Wait for it? Weren't these words written over 3,000 years ago? Since this time, Jesus has been sent to us, died, ascended and resurrected, but the injustice and violence is still everywhere and has been unrelenting. Even now, six years after I read those words, the world is still burning. How long do we have to wait? How long is this arc towards justice? Habakkuk, however, doesn't respond as I might have that day, petty and frustrated. Instead, he resolves Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, 
and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Habakkuk doesn't necessarily see God's wisdom in the death and destruction around him or in God's advice to be patient. But this third chapter suggests that he does come to some sort of terms with what God asks of him. Looking beyond the seeming injustice and senselessness of the world around him, Habakkuk seems to understand and maybe even accept that he needs to remain faithful and patient as God instructs, but also that he should be joyful for what God and for God and what God has given. It's suggested that this third chapter may have been written later than the first two, perhaps. Even so, Habakkuk's path from questioning God's plans to rejoicing in the Lord sure seemed to be a pretty easy transition to me as I stand here six years later still struggling with these concepts. Having encountered this passage of the Bible at that time reminded me of the saying, God gives us answers, just not necessarily the ones we're looking for. 2017 was an awakening of sorts for me. It's not that I thought the world was okay back then. I was aware of the issues of the day. Income inequality, racism, gun violence, human trafficking, wars, climate change, and so much more. But it wasn't until then that I felt like I needed to do something more than just be aware and be kind. I'm sure having become a parent and wanting to make the world a more hospitable and fair place for my children to live had something to do with this. I spent a lot of time finding ways to contribute to solutions rather than standing by and letting the problems fester. Since that Sunday six years ago, as I've both continued to try in my own ways to fix this mess, and also often feeling overwhelmingly powerless in doing so, I have returned to these chapters of the Bible time and again. I don't know how to reconcile God's love of us on the one hand, so much so that he sent his only son to die for our sins, and on the other hand, the unstoppable human intent on destroying, oppressing, and persecuting one another. It just doesn't seem enough to love and not hate. Today's lectionary passages, those texts prescribed for each Sunday in a three-year pattern, included the one I recited from the first book of Thessalonians. These words of the Apostle Paul to this early church community resonated with me in the struggle that I've been having. Again, just as in Habakkuk, we are told to wait that we do not know and will never know until it happens when the day of the Lord will come. It will come like a thief in the night. And again, we are told to not live in darkness, not to dwell on the death and destruction, but in the light, to be ready by putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. This passage also reminds me that I don't want to be caught sleeping again the way I felt I had been in 2017. Unlike in Habakkuk's time, Paul wrote these words to the Thessalonians after God sent Jesus to save us from our sins. Indeed, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Maybe, 
rather than wondering why Jesus' life and resurrection were not enough to end the injustices of the world, I need to focus instead on the way Jesus lived his life while on earth as an example of what I can do in my own small way to address and counteract them. After all, it doesn't seem that the human condition will be changing anytime soon. Maybe it's me who needs to change. In the prophetic imagination, Walter Brueggemann describes Jesus as a radical of his time, whose ministry led to the dismantling of the oppressive powers and agents of the then-current order. But as Paul points out to the Thessalonians, Jesus' dismantling wasn't through bloodshed and violence. Instead, Jesus' radicalism, as distilled by Brueggemann, takes the forms of forgiveness, Sabbath, table fellowship, healing and exorcism, association with women, criticism of debts and taxes as a weight on the working class, temple, and compassion. Jesus' life teaches us that love is more than a feeling. It's an action. This concept of living faithfully by acting out of love is a major departure from my thoughts on what it meant to be a good Christian growing up. Raised in a small rural town where I attended a church of God, off and on throughout my childhood, where I was related to half the congregation and the other half had my mom as their fourth grade teacher, or, <laughs> or so it seemed to me, I thought living faithfully meant living life free of sin. In her book, Accidental Saints, Finding God in All the Wrong Places, Nadia Bowles-Weber describes this as a tallying up of our sins on some big spiritual dry erase board in heaven, and that by sacrificing Jesus, God put the eraser in our hands so that now, if we confess our sins and feel terrible for every bad deed, word, or thought, and if we promise not to do, say, or think those things again, then the marks would be erased. And when it comes down to it, God is pleased with us only when we have a clean board. Die with marks on it, and you may go to hell. Thinking of faith in this way, along with everyone around me knowing who I was and who my parents were, made my teenage self think I was doomed. I would spend many a night lying in bed, reciting the Lord's Prayer with heavy emphasis on deliver me from evil. What I realized now was what, that what I was experiencing then were the thoughts and feelings of a normal teenager. <clears throat> but at the time, I thought I was sinful and certainly had enough marks on God's dry erase board, even then, to be kept locked out of heaven's gates. I also now realize, with the benefit of time, age, and lessons learned here at SPC, that being sin-free isn't what be being faithful necessarily means. After all, if it were true that the aggregation of our sins is what God was concerned with, God's greatest commandment to us would be, thou shalt not sin, and not love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But as Jesus showed us, it's not enough to stand by with love in our hearts for a neighbor when our neighbor is being abused bullied, or unfairly prosecuted. Acting out love requires more. And surprised by hope, N.T. Wright makes the case that the faithful among us will be resurrected in much the same way Jesus was. He described a life of faithfulness 
as being obedient to the gospel, following Jesus, and energized and directed by the Spirit, which will build the kingdom now in the present. This, he says, means that what we do for the Lord is not in vain. We are accomplishing something that will become in due course part of God's new world. Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. I'm now convinced this new world will not happen in my lifetime, but it does give me some comfort to know that whatever little bit of good I can contribute to the world and the admirable efforts of those whose contributions have been, are, and will be even greater, are not for naught. Returning to the passage in Thessalonians, I would be remiss if I didn't address the instruction to encourage one another and build each other up. Living in faith and acting in love sounds easy, but it's not. There are so many things that can get in our way. Time, fear, anxiety, comfort, and security, to name just a few, that we need to rely on each other to do this. In fact, helping each other live faithfully and act in love is itself an act of faithfulness and love, one that will most certainly contribute to the new creation. We're fortunate to experience that with each other here in this community. Now, when I recite the Lord's Prayer, my emphasis isn't on deliver me from evil, as it used to be. Instead, I choose to focus on the words, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. I commit to remaining vigilant in my faith, so that when God's kingdom comes to earth, maybe, just maybe, some small act of love I did during my infinitesimally short lifetime will have helped to bring it about. This I must believe.